Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Happy New Year, Reds, and happy three points. Manchester United, the informed team of the country. Entertaining, consistent, and winning. It's brilliant. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast in 2021 with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. A hard-fought, close defensive clash that when United's way against Wolves, the most boring team in the league, is followed by a genuinely brilliant and entertaining end-to-end win against Aston Villa. Two teams who are fun to watch right now, producing one of the most compelling and high-quality, actually, behind-closed-doors games of the coronavirus era. Jack, with that win, United went joint top. That means... Nothing come the end of the season, of course. Um, but what is most telling is the the confidence running through the club right now. Fans who are looking up the table to Liverpool rather than down to fourth and fifth. Players who pass crisply, make good runs, clip balls over the top, go hard into challenges. And a manager who looks younger, smiles, keeps expectations balanced, but has a spring in his step without a doubt. There's a long way to go in the season, more than half a season to go. But for now, this is, this is very good. Yeah, and we should be enjoying this you know it's easy to get dragged into all of the the caveats that do rightly come along with the position that we're in but at the end of the day this Manchester United team is in a position that no Man United team has been in since Sir Alex Ferguson retired this is by far the closest we've ever been to being serious title challengers and even if the season fizzles out we should take heart from the fact that this is where we are at this point in the season and not only did we produce two wins in the last week but, and especially against Villa, we played some seriously stunning football at times. Yeah. I mean, the first goal against Villa comes from some brilliant play from Pogba to uh, beat the Villa midfield into Rashford, who releases Wan-Bissaka, puts in a great cross to Martial, making the exact kind of run we want him to make. And then, especially after Fernandez scores the penalty for 10 or 15 minutes, we weren't only the dominant team, but we looked absolute dynamite yeah. going forward. I mean, some of the play that we had going forward, some of the interplay was unbelievable at times. It was Pogba, Martial, Rashford, Fernandes, and actually Luke Shaw at the heart of it. We probably should have got another goal or two. Pogba had one very good chance that came from some of that football. But these are really, really good signs for United that we're not just winning games. And obviously the Wolves win was a bit of a slugfest that wasn't the most entertaining game. But you watch us against Villa... And this isn't just a team to enjoy the results from. This is a team that you actively enjoy watching every week. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was just a genuinely really good game of football. Really entertaining. And oh, it was as, brilliant. As I said in the intro, just two fun teams at the moment. That's certainly not something we would have said about United until very recently. Aston Villa as well are a team who came back in Project Restart, looked a lot better and then have just grown and grown as this season has gone on. And I, I really enjoy watching Villa, not just against United. Well, I, in fact, I didn't enjoy yeah. watching Villa against United because I was concerned by the threat provided by Cash, McGinn, Grealish particularly, who is just an absolute gem of a football player, just a, a treat to watch. Um, it was similar someone, to, the, to the game against Leeds, except a team in Villa who are better defensively so it was a much closer game but it was just as entertaining just with fewer goals yeah it's it's that and I I think Villa uh, of all the teams to come to Old Trafford who deserve praise this season 
Aston Villa are, are probably ahead of Leeds and ahead of everyone else because although they didn't win and I think we deserve to win uh, but nevertheless Villa are a really entertaining team and who have some serious quality all throughout the side and, and someone a team that I choose to watch every week whoever they're playing because they are fun to watch but you're right United some brilliant play and and that's the thing I, I it got to the end of the game and you kind of you sat back and and took a breath after what was undoubtedly a a tense um, final five ten minutes. Once the heart rate had come exactly, down, exactly, yeah. And then I turned to my brother and said, "That was just that was a really good game, and we're fun to watch." And you're right; it's it's the 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 level of quality and confidence in that front six, particularly from Paul Pogba, who was outstanding but also from Bruno Fernandes who kept things a little simpler than he normally does because he had more quality around him. But I think it's in in players like Fred and, and McTominay and Shaw actually where you can see the change that this last few weeks of wins has done to them. And they're part they're 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 attempting things that they wouldn't normally attempt, and it's often coming off. And and when Dan James came on as well, actually, some lovely hold up player and interchanges with Martial, and you just thought he wouldn't be trying that that pass through the lines through a, a crowd of defenders. Um, yeah, only a few weeks ago. Yeah, confidence is massive for so many of the players in our team. I think the ones you picked out there are have been the perfect beneficiaries of a team that's actually in good form at the moment. I think Luke Shaw is is the clearest example. Obviously, Alex Tellers came in at the end of the transfer window. And to be fair, I think most of us, myself included, expected Alex Tellers to probably end up being our starting left back by sort of halfway through the season. I thought we we expected it would take him, you know, a little bit of time to settle and then eventually would sort of usurp Shaw, mainly on account of the fact that he's a bit better going forward. But Shaw has stepped up his game massively and he looks now like the talent that we thought we we were getting all those years ago when he signed. You know, he's not a world-class left-back, but what he offers us going forward at the moment is massive. He's improved defensively as well recently. You know, this was a brilliant performance from him against Villa. It really was. Down the left, him working alongside, whether it was Rashford, Martial, Fernandez, Pogba, whichever one of those four was kind of down the left at any point in the game, some of the interplay was was brilliant. And yeah. again, probably should have got an assist for the chance that, that Pogba missed in the second half. But I mean, I think he is the, the perfect example of, as you say, a, someone benefiting from being in a team that is flying high, that is high on confidence at the moment. And really, when you think about it, he's, he's probably only ever played in a United team that's full of confidence, maybe once or twice in his United career, maybe at the start of yeah. Solskjaer's uh, time as manager and then maybe at the start of the season when we finished second under Mourinho. That's really it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it, it was both games. He came on against Wolves and I think helped to change the game massively. Tellez was having a yeah. a less than good game against Wolves and his contribution was pretty minimal in in a negative sense um, and Shaw came on and yeah. I gave think, I think some... Tellers has, has struggled to be in a fullback. He, he's done all right at yeah. fullback but as a conventional left back he's struggled so far. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm very happy to be proved wrong. Well, not proved wrong but I, I just haven't been convinced yet and uh, I think I think it's it's not only that in comparison to Tellers, Shaw looks better. It is definitely that Shaw has improved off the back of the increased competition. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that in, in all sorts of areas of his games. His crossing has certainly improved, but also the intensity and the um with which he comes onto the pitch and against against Wolves, but also against um Villa, there was this kind of intensity he got from left back in terms of his his pressing, uh the way he went into aerial battles, and then some good crossing and, and play as well that you just that just seemed unfamiliar and and that's a, a real relief but um, it, there, there are plenty of other players to focus on uh, and we'll talk about where that results left United and, and Solskjaer's tactics but uh, just to pick out a few others Paul Pogba in that form is just a joy to watch one of his very best United displays I think and, and had it all and if this is him earning himself a move elsewhere then fine I love it <laughs> yeah this was a brilliant a brilliant brilliant Paul Pogba performance it wasn't just the quality you know the, the good passes the vision you know like like we mentioned for the Wan-Bissaka um, releasing Wan-Bissaka down the right for Martial's goal it was also the intensity from Paul Pogba yeah. which actually even some of his best United performances isn't always there you know you sort of see him in 
some games where we're playing a deep block and he's able to be a little bit slower and more calculated with what he does. And he has the quality to do that. But I think what was so lovely about his performance against Villa was just that intensity. Everything he did was very, very fast. It was at full speed. Even in defence, he was very, very good at pressing the Villa midfield. I, it was it was a joy to watch. And this is this is the Paul Bogba we wanted. And again, like you said, when we have Pogba and Fernandez in the lineup, it, it takes some of that creative pressure off of Fernandez. And I think it does make him play a little bit simpler as well, which I think we benefit from. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't a vintage Fernandez performance by any means against Villa, but I think you saw that we were able to maintain attacks for a longer period of time because he was keeping it a bit more simple. He wasn't just looking to play that that match winning pass every time he picked up the ball. And I, I think that does honestly part of it at the least comes down to having another creative force like Pogba in the team. Yeah, I think also credit to Solskjaer because I think Pogba was playing in what I think is his best position as well in that more advanced Agreed, midfield yeah. role not as a number 10 but 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 certainly not in that sort of double pivot in a 4-2-3-1 alongside Fred or McTominay or Matic I think pushed up a little bit further forward is definitely his best position I mean I think he had the most touches in the opposition box that he's ever had in a United <laughs> shirt and that just goes to show you know what what difference it made having him start a little bit further yeah. forward because in attack is is where he's a more potent force yeah. than in defence and we should be trying to maximise that as much as we yeah, can. Yeah, I was gutted when he missed that chance because it, it, it was a fantastic chance and, and brilliant from Shaw. And we'll, we'll actually talk about one second in a second as well, the other fullback. But Pogba, it, 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 was, it was so refreshing to see. He proved that in that kind of left, almost left wing position or perhaps left midfield is a better way of describing it, but in that left midfield position, he showed some, some actual discipline and and protected his fullback and helped Shaw out and was his positioning was good his intensity in the tackle was good except on one occasion and and you just it it was a kind of complete performance and I think it was not asking him to do everything it was asking him to protect Shaw when he could and to create chances for United and that was kind of it there wasn't the need to dictate the tempo which is what is required of him in that kind of double pivot um, in in the base of midfield. And that kind of let him do what he does best, which is play with some some freedom and play like a, a street footballer who is just blessed in the most amazing way physically, who has every, he just is, <laughs> he's the perfect specimen for a midfielder with those long ranging legs, the, the driving runs, the brilliant technical ability, which I guess isn't a, a physical blessing, but a, a technical um, ability and and the strength and the the aerial presence as well and he 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 had everything and I think that Pogba playing like that and it is well known that most of the United players look up to him Pogba playing like that it just has a, an immense impact on the team um, but United's first goal from Wambasaka and Martial I think the, the, the other thing with sorry on. just to finish the conversation on Pogba I think the other benefit of having him playing a bit further forward is that when he picks up the ball and, and even against Villa. Pogba will lose the ball occasionally during a game, just on account of the style of, of player that he is. He invites yeah, pressure yeah. from other players and often he can beat them, but he will also lose the ball. So, the, But the other benefit of him playing in sort of more advanced left side of midfield rather than at the base of the midfield is he's picking up the ball 10, 15 yards inside Villa's half rather than, you know, our side of the centre circle between our own penalty area and the centre circle. And that means if he does lose the ball, it's not fatal. It's, it's not going to end up with us conceding a goal. And we've seen it before when he's playing deeper, he still invites that pressure. But if he loses it, suddenly they have a goal scoring opportunity. That isn't the case when he's playing more advanced because we have time to recover. We have more players in reserve a bit further back to, to stop the attack. And, you know, you could make the argument that maybe just Pogba needs to simplify his game and not lose the ball as much. But that's what he brings yeah. to the team. He invites that pressure and quite often he beats it, which then allows us to spring an attack. But playing further forward, you give him more of a license to still play like that without the massive risk of of losing it and immediately yeah. the other team yeah. being through exactly. on goal. And it, it was there's been a couple of these with Pogba, and I I don't want to predict a great uh, a consistent end to the season for him because every time we've kind of thought that that's coming, it it hasn't. But over the course of a couple of months, as he's been coming back from as he's been recovering from. Um, coronavirus as he and Solskjaer have both said but there was that 45 minutes against Leipzig at home where he was just unplayable and, and played with a real intensity and then it, it, it stopped in the second half uh, against um, 
Everton in the first half, I think he was again outstanding and then it kind of faded out. And against Villa, it was for the whole game. And I think there are some signs that this is a, I mean, you just have to hope that this is kind of a sustained or sustainable run of form for him. Um, there was another game too. I don't know if it was Southampton or West Ham away, maybe, where he was brought on at half time when we were losing away at half time and he changed the game then as well. Yeah. Well, he certainly did it against, against PSG as well. He came on and, and affected the game massively. And uh, more recently as well, I think against Leicester actually on Boxing Day, he came on and, and changed the game in our favour. I, w- I will talk about uh, Wamba. I was going to mention Wambasaka and Martial and their combination for the goal. But Solskjaer, as you said, put Pogba in the right position um, in that left midfield position. I think he could and, and he did appear in, on the right of midfield as well at times. He could be an option there going forward as well because obviously United have kind of a weakness in the right side of attack um, and Rashford was playing there on on Friday night but Pogba could play there in the future but credit to Solskjaer over both games against the, the two Midlands opposition Wolves and Aston Villa got his tactics spot on and it, the Wolves game was not entertaining but I don't think you can be entertaining against Wolves. I, I I I hate playing Wolves because they're they're a team with a huge amount of talent, and unlike Villa and unlike Leeds, just no intention to entertain, and just incredibly boring and a, a horrible team to play against. And it brings them a relative level of success, success I guess. But um, it wasn't an entertaining game. But Solskjaer got the tactics right, and it paid off eventually. And I think we deserve to win that game. I don't think there was much doubt about that. And against Villa, completely different tactics. Went with a diamond. Pogba on the left had a massive influence. Um, and and the midfield worked as well, even though McTominay had a kind of a, a pretty poor game. And, and when the game was getting away from us, when Villa um, were getting back into it, he brought the Manu Matic on and changed that game as well. And he brought Shaw on against Wolves um, to, to change the game on for Tellers as well. So a, a huge credit to him because he is behind both of those victories. Yeah, Solskjaer deserves all the credit in the world for the way he's handled this last week. I thought his team selections were pretty much spot on. Like you said, changed the game with some of his substitutions. <laughs> yeah, the Wolves game, I mean, the Wolves game was pretty awful at times. I absolutely despise playing Wolves. I mean, it's just the worst, the <laughs> yeah. worst fixture you could imagine because it doesn't have the, the spice or the the real fury of a derby game. But you also just know that it's going to be cagey and, and just a pretty awful spectacle. But I think what this week has shown as well, probably more than anything in my mind, it's just a perfect example of how fine the margins are in elite level football. Now we could, if we're being honest with ourselves, we could quite easily be coming out of these two games with one, two, or, or maybe even no points if a few things had gone differently. You know, Wolves had some good chances, especially in the first half. And we obviously got some luck at the end with the deflection. Although I do agree that I think overall we, we were the better team. You know, Villa had some brilliant chances and could easily have snatched a point or more, you know, with either the last kick of the game with Baye's outstanding block or even before that, you know, Mings had a chance, Watkins had a chance, De Gea made a few good saves, Matty Cash had an effort from long range. You know, there were multiple chances that Villa could have scored to either equalise or even win that game. But those are the margins that we're dealing with and you have to give credit to this United team for finding a way. You know, we always say that that is the hallmark of champions and, well, it's definitely not where this United team is at the moment. We definitely aren't champions in waiting. And I still don't think that we are serious title challengers. These are really positive signs, nonetheless, that we are able to grind out and see out results. It's not perfect at all. And, and we've seen these fine margins go the opposite way for a team in Spurs. Is that You just really just have to look at them for a cautionary tale and how this Absolutely, can go. Yeah completely wrong in the other direction. They were, what, top or just breathing down Liverpool's necks three weeks ago and now they're down in seventh or eighth and in a bit of free fall. Yeah. But, th- you know, these are positive signs that this is a United team that's learning, that is maturing. And we've talked a lot about the mentality that, that, you know, that the United team is, is sort of fostering. It's been mentioned by Solskjaer, it's been mentioned by Bruno Fernandes. And I think you can see it on the pitch. We didn't see the game out perfectly at all. No. And, and Solskjaer mentioned it after the game that this team needs to improve and it does need to improve because this has been a problem for, for over a year now. But, you know, we got some luck and, we, and we, we got there. And actually that it can be a massive boost. And I just think mentally this team is, 
is getting to a level we've not seen before. And you could see, I love the celebrations at the end with Bailly, you know, four, five, six players going up to him yeah. at the end of the game yeah. to specifically seek him out to congratulate him for that block at the end, which saved the game. So it's, there's a togetherness in this squad. The mentality is improving. These are positive signs, even if we are at the moment benefiting from some very fine margins. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've we've always been aware that we're operating on fine margins. It's something we said um, over the last few weeks. I, I think particularly starting from the Leeds game, we've benefited from those. Um, but also in, in I mean, <laughs> the yeah. three-two win against Brighton, for example, was ridiculous. Um, and and to be honest, ridiculous slice of luck. Southampton um, benefited from fine margins. It went against us in the first half and, and then for us in the second half. They, that's absolutely clear. But as you say, togetherness in the squad. But Sheffield, also Sheffield United as well. Yeah, yeah. But also that it it just the last week has been handled so well. Um, everything around the club and and as the media begins to talk about United mounting a title challenge and, and quite a large section of the fan base as well and I'll talk about that in a second but Solskjaer is, is handling that well and not and he, he's he's always been good at setting expectations right um, and after defeats he comes out and talks about the positives of the game and after wins he comes out and talks about the things that need to be improved on the negatives and that just balances expectations and prevents us from swinging from from emotion to emotion. And he was right. He came out after and said that we need to improve on seeing out games. In, and as you say, he's absolutely right. And we've seen evidence of that over the last 12, 18, 24 months where we've thrown points away. Um, but as you say, these are games that we wouldn't have got six points out of. We probably would have got two points out of last season. And that's a massive improvement, no matter, even if it is fine margins. The challenge now is to continue the progress and make these games next season be ones where we get the third goal in the 70th minute and we comfortably see it out for a 3-1 or 4-1 victory. Um, but the other point that, that you were talking about, Tottenham and, and United being um, second in the table now behind Liverpool on goal difference before they play on Monday, it's it's brilliant news and, and we'll milk it for everything we can. But... It is important that it, it it can all change so quickly. Spurs were title favourites almost alongside Liverpool only three weeks ago and the talk about Mourinho's return. And now it's United who have filled that position alongside Liverpool. But the speed at which things have changed in a great positive way for United is also the speed at which it could all fall apart again. And so while I am delighted with it at the moment, we have to be aware of that and and judge and make our kind of reaction and our analysis not just on um, not just on the results and the wins but also on the performances and those fine margins yeah it's, and, and the, these fine margins are, are what you you're always dealing with at the top end of the Premier League you know you go back and you, you could probably look at eight or nine out of our 13 Premier League titles and pick out a moment or two in every season that if one thing had sort of fallen differently we wouldn't end up being champions. You could look at all the league titles that we've lost on on goal difference or by one or two points that, you know, would also, you could look back on and say, oh, if this had gone differently. I remember there was one where we effectively lost the title to Chelsea one season around, uh, I think probably 2009, maybe 2010, maybe 2006, where Drogba scored an offside goal against us, for example, which effectively cost us the league. Like, things like this happen every season. It's not, it's nothing new. It's just that, the league is so congested this season that one or two of those moments going a different way and suddenly you're you're back in, I mean, we're at Tottenham now, seventh, I think, eighth. So it can change incredibly quickly. I think that's why, you know, why we're not getting too ahead of ourselves. We're not getting too excited. It would have, it's, it would have been really easy. And maybe if we recorded this immediately after the game last night, we would have been coming on here getting giddy about, oh, we're in a title race, you know, we're, we're better than Liverpool, you know, we're coming for them, we're winning at Anfield, whatever. And it is really important, I think, to keep that positive positivity because it's not something we've had here in, in such a long time. We do also need to keep some perspective. We definitely aren't there yet and we are only halfway through the season. But at the same time, sometimes you create that luck a little bit on your own. You know, say with the penalty against Villa, Sure, I think we got a bit lucky. It is a penalty in my eyes, 100%. But you, know, you get a little bit lucky in that you still get a penalty. It turns what was probably a, not a very good opportunity into an almost guaranteed goal. But you create that luck yourself by being in the right position, by playing front foot aggressive football. 
So I think it's one of those things where you kind of ride your luck and you take it where you can, but you're right that we need to learn, I think, as a team yeah. not to have to rely but it is on these part moments. Of the, of the progress. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think one aspect of it that you are seeing us do better in is that we haven't fallen behind in our last four games now. Yeah. What was it Leeds, Leicester, Wolves, Villa? Yeah, yeah. It hasn't been perfect, but not falling behind is actually a big deal for us at the moment. You know, that in, that in itself, we said before yeah. that our... And, and- that is sign of progress. That is something that was going wrong in the last few weeks and has changed. And so immediately that those, there's so much this season. I mean, just the progress from the start season is monumental anyway, but there are these, these individual things that you see have changed and that, that is a real positive. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think like that, I think that there are probably two things that we really needed to improve. It was our ability to see out games when we're in a position you know, where, where we're leading towards the end and not falling behind and putting ourselves in these one nil, two nil holes because neither of those things are sustainable. And we mentioned that a few weeks ago that, you know, it's great and we're winning these away games after falling behind, but we couldn't keep relying on that all season. Well, we seem to have fixed at least recently that issue. We're not falling behind as much. We're starting games much quicker. Now it's about improving the second part of that and not having to rely on, say, a by last minute block. It's about Pogba finishing yeah. that chance. You know, we had a few other chances during the game that on another day might have gone our way. Martinez made some good saves, but we should be killing that game off quicker, then being able to, to, to rest some of our, our starters for the last 10 minutes. You know, those are the kind of things that we need to build up to really become a, a, a very, very good team. But yeah, at the same time, you've got to just enjoy the fact that this is a United team very 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 clearly going in the right direction that is fun to watch that puts a smile on your face and that very clearly has a chance at you know having probably the most successful season we've had since Sir Alex Ferguson retired yeah I don't we're not going to win the league I think we I think we all kind of know that Liverpool (laughs) are still heavy 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 favourites but isn't it just nice to at least have an inkling that it's New Year's Day when we played Villa and, and we're joined uh, on points with Liverpool. Yeah. I mean, that that's not anything we expected to come maybe in the next two years, let alone halfway through this yeah, season. Absolutely. And and I tell you what it has done is that even though I don't expect us to win the league, although the inter- the the fact that we're anywhere in there just makes football more enjoyable. But we spoke in, in September and October as pretty consistent uh, uh, as a personally a big fan of Oligna Solskjaer as a as a man and a manager from the moment he joined United as interim and we said in October that that we were afraid that the good work that he'd done would ultimately count for little for him personally because the the continuation of those poor results um would lead to his his sacking and and that United might have to pull the trigger if there were better options available elsewhere, um, if those poor results continued. And and since the 1-0 defeat to Arsenal in particular, but basically since the 6-1 against Spurs, everything since then has given him, not just until the end of the season, I think, but has given him the the chance for the from the fans and from the board, I think, it's given him that platform on which to, he now deserves a prolonged chance to have a real crack at winning a league with United. And look, there, there's so many caveats to this season. The fact that teams are pressing less because they're more tired. The fact that the big teams are not doing so well. The fact that everyone's playing pretty poorly. The fact that Liverpool have had a huge amount of injuries. The fact, all of these things. But Solskjaer has given himself that that platform on which he deserves a chance now. The the final um, thing, thing I'll say on Villa before we preview the City game, um, we, we can't, continue without uh, hailing um, King Eric Bay. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's come in for, for Lindelof the last four games. This must be the first time he started four games in a row in a couple of years, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think we've always known with Bay that the talent is there. When he's played, yeah. you know, he's, he's made a couple of mistakes here and there, but in general, when he's played and he's been fully fit, he's been very, very good. I think we've also all known that stylistically he is probably a better partner for Harry Maguire than Lindelof is and that I think they complement each other well they both cover up for each other's weaknesses and both maximise each other's strengths 
I think, but to be honest with you, I and I, th- I think most of the United fan base had pretty much given up on on Bailly as a serious option as, yeah, at centre back, so. just because the, the injuries would had got to a point where it was almost impossible to rely on him for anything. But I mean, his last few weeks he's been very, very solid, and I mean, the last minute block against Villa. I mean, he, he saved us two points at what, I mean, undoubtedly. And I, I actually watched it back just before we recorded this because I wanted to go back and sort of see how the game panned out. And watching that Bailly block, so he's, he's quite static when the ball comes in, which is, is not the best. But when it drops to Keenan Davis, he's actually not that close to him. He makes up a good sort of three or four yards of ground in a split second to get there and throw his body on the line. I, I kind of assumed without rewatching it, that he was just in front of him the whole time and just sort of got on the ground to, to block the shot. But the the, the, the reactions, the instinct yeah. to come and make that block in the last second is unbelievable. The ground that he makes up to throw his body on the line. I mean, like I said, you, you can't say enough about him. He's been brilliant. And to be fair, if he can stay fit, I don't really see a reason to bring Lindelof back in because I, I honestly think Bailly has, has been better than Lindelof not that Lindelof had been playing badly recently. I think he, he'd actually been having a decent period. But to me, Maguire and Bailly is a much better, a much more stylistically correct partnership than Maguire and Lindelof is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And just, yeah, four fantastic performances. And you're right, it was always injuries. There was a problem, not his performances. He's another player in the team who is just fun to watch. Um, and it was great to see him getting the, the praise after from the from the rest of his teammates. Um, City, let's preview that quickly. The League Cup semi-final, one-legged. Does the one-leg benefit us or City, do you think, rather than the traditional two legs for the EFL Cup semi-finals? I mean, in general, I don't really think it benefits any team that much. I think both teams are, are pretty evenly matched. But I think the timing of it has ended up benefiting us because obviously City have a few positive COVID cases at the moment. Um, was it Carl yeah. Walker and Gabriel Jesus, I think, have tested positive? Um, it looks like Edison might as well. Right. There was something you know, coming out just in the last hour or so um, that Edison might not be available for United. Which well, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So there you go. I think that, you know, the timing of it, that it's only one leg, has ended up suiting us, you know, because we we have a a very fit squad at the moment, thankfully sort of touch wood, but City are dealing with some issues. I think it's a tough one because I was, I was seeing a lot actually thinking about this on, on Twitter if, when the draw came out a couple of weeks ago that in some, in some ways you'd almost rather the game be at the Etihad because we have such a good recent yeah. record there. I don't think we've lost at the Etihad since like 2015 or something, 2016 or something. It's been a while. Um, but I, I think at this point, I, mean, I almost don't want to say this, but I think we, we'd have to be favourites in this game at the moment. You know, with the COVID cases affecting Man City, with how well we've been playing recently. I mean, City have been in decent form as well, to be fair. But I think you'd have to make us favourites going into this game, which is a position that actually scares me a little bit, to be honest. And I'm still scarred from the Bernardo Silva sort of masterclass that Old Trafford in at this stage of the League Cup last season. But I think we are favourites. But, you know, the favourites tag is is almost a curse in these fixtures because as I said, the, the away teams have had such a good recent record in the Manchester Derby. You would expect it to be a more entertaining game than what we saw in the league. It can't really be any worse, but I'm excited. I'm excited actually to watch us play Man City because I, you know, I have faith yeah. in this team to to put in a performance. Whether, whether it's enough to win, I don't know, but I, I, I have faith in this team for probably the first time maybe <laughs> ever with sort of this current sort of group of players that in a big game we will actually come out and, and yeah. put in a good performance whether we win or not is it's another matter a good but test, isn't it? I'm excited to watch us play yeah and and yeah. I'm not sure how Solskjaer should set up but I wouldn't be surprised to see the traditional anti-city setup of of Dan James in there for pace running behind and, and to be fair if Edison is injured that does provide a a different element to the game because Edison is is one of those keepers who's so good at coming out and dealing with those balls over the top you yeah. take him out of the equation and perhaps you, you do think let's get Dan James in there ready to run him behind um, and hopefully capitalise on a moment of weakness no, from, from Sissy's defence or, or keeper but they're, they're, 
the great thing at the moment is there are plenty of options for Solskjaer and uh, the fact that Cavani's missing is is a shame and we're actually going to go on to our, our bonus Q&A in a second when we'll talk about Ennis and Cavani's suspension um, and because it's New Year um, and the start of a new year we thought we'd give a treat to um, all of our listeners by adding the bonus Q&A on to the normal feed as well not just the patron feed so you can have a taster of what it's like uh, to get the bonus Q&A at the end of all your shows if you want to sign up to become a patron after hearing this and enjoying it go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there and you can find information for how to do so for as little as I think 38 pence a week um, so we will move on to those those questions in a second but it's difficult to make a prediction for the City game particularly without knowing who they're going to have available but as you say it, well as I say it's a good test and as you say there is some faith and uh, it would be so good to get to a final especially in this form oh, it would be brilliant and I think what a moment it would be for this team to break this sort of semi-final voodoo that we Absolutely, sort of have yeah. going on against City as well at home obviously not with fans which is the real shame but at home against City you know get one over Pep and also not only that but in this specific sort of period where we are playing so well and we seem to have that belief in the squad and I think this would really just be sort of icing on the cake that this team can go the whole way it can sort of reach these finals it can go one better than we did last season I think it would be a massive boost yeah. to us. And, and then also, you know, going into a lot of these players you would expect to probably have a weekend off against Watford. A lot of our star players will probably be rested, which would be big boost for them. I, I mean, it's, it's a massive game. If I'm looking at what I think will happen, I reckon the first half will be quite cagey. We've seen this in a lot of the big games since uh, games have been played behind closed doors at I, just the the adrenaline and the energy in the stadium sort of saps energy from the game but I think in the second half yeah. you'll see both teams take a lot more risks than they were willing to in the league game um, yeah I feel like I always predict draws at the end of these episodes to kind of cover <laughs> my own back about not jinxing us but I think I've got to be positive for once and go with a 2-1 United win yeah well the, to be fair the Villa game the final 35, 40 minutes at least did feel, it had that cup final feel where it looked as if neither team wanted yeah. to see out the game um, and were just desperate to uh, desperate to get the win rather than any kind of aspirations for a draw. Um, at, at this point of the, of the podcast, I'd normally bid farewell to our, our regular listeners, um, but we're going to go straight into the bonus Q&A. There's no point acting out the, the, the normal end of the show. We'll move on to a question from uh, Mod Naya, who says, what's your opinion on the Cavani decision? And brings up the fact that Bernardo Silva did the same thing. He got a one-match ban. Deli Ali also got a one-match ban. Um, and and a couple of other incidents. It, the, it's a really difficult one with Cavani because there is a, a big part of me that... Uh, I mean, there's a big part of me that sympathises with Cavani. And first of all, it, he basically didn't do anything wrong because of the the context a it, it wasn't as if he was talking english and brought out that word uh in that context he was speaking in spanish to a friend and it's a an affectionate term certainly from from his point of view and so i sympathize with that and and i think there's a real problem of of not using this as a chance to uh, implement an education program and say well, we understand the complexities of the difference in language and the difference in culture but nevertheless we're going to implement this this training program and this education program and, and use this Cavani incident as the kind of the trigger on the other hand I I almost understand and support the kind of mandatory uh, what's the word Sen- sentencing or judgment towards racist incidents because you can't just uh you can't kick it out to use their expression just with morals their policy has to follow and we've seen that all throughout the world and throughout history so i do understand why this is there i also think it's incredibly unfair on cavani it's a tough one because i do feel for cavani because having sort of read up on what this really means and sort of the context in which it was being said 
this clearly wasn't something designed to be offensive. It, it was Cavani trying to sort of show some sort of affection for the person he was talking to on his Instagram. Having said that, I think you can understand why the Premier League wants to be seen to be, oh, sorry, not the Premier League, the FA wants to be seen to be taking sort of a hard stance on this because, you know, with everything, it, it, the optics of players still taking a knee before every game and condemning so quickly and so rightly sort of fans at Millwall and a few other stadiums that have booed players taking the knee before the games in support of Black Lives Matter. I think it's it's difficult from an optics perspective to have that going on and you be a vocal supporter of that and then let something like this slide without sort of doing anything. I do agree. I think there was a middle ground available here between a three-game ban and nothing, whether that is sort of an education program or a smaller ban or a more sort of public statement of understanding the context in which this was said. Whatever that might be, I think there was a middle ground available here. Yeah. Personally, I think if you see... If we see the pre- if we see the FA and the Premier League implementing this harsh level of punishment on all future cases like this, I personally am not too worried about it. Like again, it, it's I understand from their point of view why they need to be seen to be clamping down on this. And I think, although I, I think Mod, you know, Mod is right to point out previous ba- smaller bands that other players have had yeah that's I the think problem, the situation has, the, has it's the inconsistency sorry to interrupt it's the inconsistencies of of the past the fact that Wayne Hennessy could do a, right. a Nazi salute and claim that he didn't know who Adolf Hitler was or claim that he didn't realise what he was doing the fact that Bernardo Silva got a one game ban for this and that's not to say that Bernardo Silva necessarily deserved a one game ban that's a different case and I'd have to look more into that but it's the inconsistencies of the past are inconsistent and they're frustrating, but this is a new FA decision, one that was taken before the Cavani incident happened, was a decision to say the three-game ban will be a minimum for these aggravated offences. Yeah, the, the judgment of that is obviously a little flawed, and I think it is it's typical of the FA's kind of cultural superiority complex. Um, and failure to understand other cultures, but I I am pleased that Cavani is, has basically said, I'm disappointed to be banned, but I understand. And while I oppose the, the judgment, I accept the suspension because it, you kind of want your player to accept that as the start of a better sport and a better way of dealing with it. And I think that was the right way for him and for the club to deal with it. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you also can't underestimate the impact of the events of this summer with the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter movement sort of really gaining steam and and the issues of sort of racial equity becoming, in my opinion, more ingrained in sort of general society in the Western world, maybe at any point in, in my lifetime, sort of in the last 20 years or so. And so this is what I was going to say in that I th- Although, although I, you know, I think Mod is right to bring up previous bans that other players have had. I do also think that we've gone through something of a paradigm shift in the last few months, and that this is a completely new period with almost a, a blank slate in terms of the punishments the players will get for this. And so, I think you know, if in the next couple of years and we see more incidents like this, which I'm sure we will, and other players get the same, if not more, if not harsher bans. I personally am, am not so worried about it. If this is just a new standard that they've gone to and sort of this is the baseline and if, say, Deli Ali did what he did and he also got a three or a four or five match ban, then I'm okay with it. I think it remains to be seen yeah, how yeah. consistently the FA will apply that. But I think it's difficult to compare to previous bans that happened before this summer because I, I just think the situation has changed so drastically. Yeah, agreed. Right, let's move on to some other questions. We've got another one from Mod, actually. Um, Modnaya says Ahmad Diallo coming in this January with only a few top level games record for Kunda Palistri still in the under 23s should we have high hopes for them to be like Nani or Cristiano Ronaldo or are they going to be like Zoran Tosic or Rodrigo Possibon um, but the, the club has done a a huge amount of research into these two players and has bought them in order to buy them before the before Brexit 
changes, well, it has now changed, but they did it before Brexit to ensure that these players will be able to be signed and get work permits and, and be able to come into the club before the new regulations come in, which make it much harder to do so. Palistri is a player who United heard about through their scouts, but also had people in in Uruguay and South America who could talk about his mentality and his attitude. And that's a really important thing for Solskjaer. Ahmad Diallo is, again, another player who's been scouted a huge amount since, I mean, I remember seeing a, a link to him in December 2019, which is pretty recent, but there was there clearly has been interest for quite a long time. And that gives me some confidence. And these are players who are going to come in and uh, Palistri is settling into the under-23s. It's a huge move to come from Uruguay at the age of 18 and and into Manchester and, and learn a new language. And he's doing well. He's been welcomed well and he's really kind of trained with intensity with the under-23s, which I think has impressed the coaches, but also his teammates as well, who appreciate the fact that he's not seeing it just as a stepping stone to the first team, but he's given his all for it. Ahmad Diallo will come in at some point in January. It looks like um, that the paperwork should be done soon, which should allow him to. I, I would guess it would take him three or four weeks at, at minimum um, to be considered for the first team, if he is going to be considered for the first team, which is what there are some suggestions of. But either way, that they are two really exciting forwards who play with flair and, and quality. And it's United's job to try and kind of allow them to be as good as they can be. But I, I'm I'm genuinely excited about them. I'm not predicting Tosic or possible. <laughs> I mean, I like the uh, the comparisons from from Mod to uh, Tosic and, <laughs> and Possible. I think at, at this point, it, predicting young players is just such a tricky business because so many things have to happen between yeah. now and the point where they would potentially become like Nani or. I mean, Ronaldo is probably not going to happen, but you know, that sort of level of footballer, that is so difficult to predict. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I've seen loads of both of them. I've seen Palistri in the under 23s and I've been very impressed, but obviously that is a a step down in in terms of, of level, but I've been impressed with how well he's sort of thrown himself into, into his work. And as Harry said, coming in to a place, you know, halfway around the world at 18 is, is certainly not an easy feat to, to do. I think Diallo, having done some research on Diallo and, and seen what people have said, it, it, the people around Diallo are quite bullish on his talent, which I know is not unusual with young players, but I think the way that people, especially at Atlanta, Atalanta, have spoke about Diallo is, is quite different from what you see from most young players. I mean, Atlanta's captain Gomez has said that in training he, he's like Messi, which again is is I'm sure a friend sort of trying to uh, sort of pad up how how good he is. But at the same time, especially for someone who has played with Messi in in the national team, you don't get those kind of comments out of nowhere. And whether they pan out is a different story. You know, we've seen so many young players come over and come through the academy or come from elsewhere that have looked like amazing talents and just haven't panned out. But I think Diallo in particular is one that I am really excited to see. It, you know, you, you just don't, you don't see teams spend 25 million pounds on 18 year olds very often. And so at the very least, you know, United have, have seen something that, that they are very interested in. And to be honest, I probably trust our scouting network now more than I ever have at any point since Ferguson retired. So I am really excited to see Diallo play. I doubt he'll, he'll get a game before February, I would guess. Um, but I think if, especially if we can get him into sort of the fourth or fifth round of the FA Cup, as, as long as we get there, I think it could be really exciting to see him play some games this year. Yeah. And United obviously have a, a weakness on the right, as we've spoken about, and having some more offensive depth in, depth in there is going to be brilliant. And yeah, I am excited about seeing him play. We will obviously have to be patient and it will probably be next season where we really start to get some glimpses of his talent. But um, I am all for United signing players like this. All for it. Um We've got a couple more questions. We'll start with uh, one from Michael Byatz, who says, with two world-class players in Press and Heath, is there an argument that the women's team is actually better than the men's team now? Uh, it's it's a very hard comparison to make because obviously the, the context is very different. Uh, I, I'd say that the 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 rate of progress in the women's team has, has been incredibly impressive, but it's, it's, it's easier to make that progress. Uh, if 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 Casey Stoney's side can be still challenging for the title in in April, then that 
that progress from being a good WSL team to title challenges is is incredible and, and a remarkable achievement. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of an impossible comparison to make. Uh, I guess you could try and compare the, the relative quality of each position, but I, I, I think it's probably too difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, the, the comparison is obviously very difficult, but I think there is an argument to be said that the women's team has been more successful than the men's team in the last couple of years in terms of, not even in terms of trophies, but just progress that's been made. And you're right that it is slightly easier in the women's game in that I think United have more of a comparative advantage compared to most other clubs in, in the WSL. But at the same time, once you know we'd established ourselves in the WSL last season and finished as sort of a, a good WSL team, I, the competition at the at the top is still very hot. You know, with Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea in particular, three very very good sides, and Tottenham as well have obviously gone out and signed Alex Morgan. And you know the the competition at the top of the WSL is very very tough. And so I think yes, it was slightly easier for United's women's team to get to the point of being sort of a top four or five WSL team. And so maybe we should have expected them to get there a lot quicker than the men's team have, have improved. But getting to the point where they are now, I, I, they're still unbeaten, I'm pretty sure, after, what, 15 games of the season, which is an un- unbelievable feat, you know, an achievement that is just crazy to think about from, from you know, a team that was only founded what, three years ago. So... I think there is an argument to be said that yeah. the, the progress the women's team has made in the last three years is more significant, even given the relative difficult difficulty of that progress for the women's team than the men's team. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's probably fair, but I think, yeah, the comparison is a very difficult one to make. Um, let's go on to Ted's questions. Ted Popham has sent in a few. He says, uh, following your conversation last week about squad players bringing competition, what do you think of De Gea's season so far? I feel like he's back to the safe pair of hands we are used to and proved against Villa. I think he is playing very well. Or he's playing at the level we we expect of him. Uh, I'm not sure he's playing anything above that, but he is he is in kind of a a consistent form at the moment, and and that is a real positive. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's at the level he was in the sort of Mourinho and Van Hal era. But I th- yeah, he's he's not making any big mistakes. I think at this, I think he's at least not giving us a, a reason to turn to Dean Henderson. Exactly, yeah. Which I think is really all he wanted from this season. And to be fair, I think part of the reason why he's not at the heights he was in the Van Gaal and Mourinho areas is also because he he doesn't need to be. We're a much better team defensively now than we were in that in that period. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't need him to drag us through games, but he's he's doing what I think we expect him to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Ted's got a couple of other questions, so we'll we'll go on to them as well. He asked about Sergio Romero and your thoughts on how the club has treated him. Says he'd really love to see him get a move away in some proper first team football. Yeah, I kind of, I, I mean, I agree. I, United just should have let him go. On the other hand, the club have no obligation to let him go for nothing. So. I understand why they weren't willing to just palm him off to another team because he is a good goalkeeper and he would improve some of United's competitors. So there's there's no re, there's no obligation to let him go, uh, and he signed the contract to United. So I kind of I, there there are two sides to the story. But yes, I would like to see him sold um, to somewhere and and for him to have a chance of being a first team goalkeeper somewhere. He's still got plenty of time left in his career to do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's been a brilliant player for United and has, has been seriously, seriously important for us in in you know winning the FA Cup a few years ago and carrying us through some really good cups, cup runs throughout his career at United. I saw some some links in the last couple of days with him from the move to Brighton. Obviously, just recently benched Matty Ryan and are playing a young goalkeeper in Sanchez at the moment that they wanted to bring Romero in, I think on loan until the end of the season for now, which I think would actually be a, a great move for all parties, you know, he gets to stay in yeah. England where his family's settled. He's not going to a direct rival. So United shouldn't have any problem letting him go. And yeah. he'd probably start every week. And because, I mean, he's not a world-class goalkeeper, but he's a very good keeper that would improve, I would say about half of Premier League sides. Yeah. I mean, there's always this weird thing with him because we haven't seen him have that prolonged spell in a first team, which means you can comfortably say there aren't going to be any mistakes. Yeah. 
he's come in for particular games and and done brilliantly and kept so many clean sheets for United in the cup in the Europa League whatever but you I guess often you against can't. weaker competition as well yeah and I guess you can't you, you just cannot make that judgement without seeing him over a 30 game season um, so I, I guess there is that and but I, I would imagine that clubs will have, have considered that um, when they go in for him and plenty of clubs have been interested in him so um, yeah Brighton would make sense and on the subject of Brighton Ted also asked about Tariq Lamptey maybe a deal for him to have some competition at right back it's, it's an interesting one because you, again you have a there's a debate here do you go for an experienced right back who can help Wan-Bissaka improve but also provide some competition kind of along the Tellers line or do you go for another very good young right back like Tariq Lamptey of Brighton but also Max Ahrens of Norwich who's been linked recently so th- there is certainly a debate there I'm not sure which side I fall down I think probably if you can get a good experienced right back who's under 30 for free or for less than 20 million then maybe you go for that but if there is a, an opportunity to sign Lamptey or Aaron's for under 30 million, then you probably go for that. No, I, I mean, I, I really like Lamptey. I think he's he's had a really good season at Brighton. Yeah, same. And I think it, it makes sense as a signing, I think, to bring in... We, we talked about this, I don't know if it was the last episode or the one before, that we've benefited from having those two different options in Tellers and Shaw at left back. And that right back is probably the one area of our squad where we're still lacking for depth. And, you know, if wan gets injured, it's then down to putting either Brandon Williams there, who for whatever reason seems to have fallen out of favour to some degree, or putting one of the centre-backs out there. So I think it does make sense. Like you said, there's been some links to Max Aarons recently, which also makes sense. I think, to be honest, either of them would, would provide us with a different option and would be refreshing to have a, a, a right-back who is, you know, a little bit more attacking and that is sort of their natural game. And Because I think the one thing that, you sort of miss with wan when he plays in a conventional four, kind of the inverse of what we mentioned with Tellers. When he plays in a conventional four, he's very, very good. You know, because defensively, he's so good that some of his weaknesses going forward are, don't really matter so much. I think sometimes when he plays as a right wing back in a five and we're relying on him as our only attacking outlet on the right, sometimes it can be a bit of an issue. And that's maybe where someone like Lampsy or Aaron's could come in. At this point, I think... Honestly, any added depth to our squad is a positive, especially in a position where we need it. So I think if we can get Lamptey or Aaron's on sort of a, a decent enough deal, I think we should go ahead and, and do it because it, it would offer us an, another option. They're both very good young players that would compete with Wan-Bissaka and just give us another option, which especially in a team that's kind of on the up and up in a, in a young team, I think is, is perfect. It's exactly what yeah. we need. It's just some more competition. Yeah. That being said, I don't expect any kind of deal along those lines in January. No, definitely not in January. Um, because, I mean, you, you think about Brighton who are trying to stay in the league. I mean, a Lamptey-Romero well, swap, swap deal, maybe? <laughs> uh, yeah, potentially. I mean, th- that's, that, that is one possibility where you say to Brighton, you can have Romero but only if we get Lamptey now. Or you say, you can have Romero, but we want first dibs on Lamptey in the summer. Yeah, it definitely yeah. wouldn't happen in January. No, but then, I mean, you look at Max Aarons at Norwich as well, and Norwich are, are trying to get promoted again. So I, I can't see them letting him leave leave now. Um, so yeah, I don't expect much to happen in the January transfer window. Obviously, Dalo is joining. That is a, a boost. Pellistri will start to become part of the first team squads, I would expect. Um, I expect some loans to be done, but mainly going out and maybe someone like Dylan Levitt, who's not had a great time at Charlton to come back and they will be reviewing those loans. But in terms of the first team, I can't see a huge amount changing. Yeah, I doubt it as well. I, I, I don't really think we have a massive reason to either. The only thing that I could see us maybe doing would be like a, a right back to that is competition and right wing. I really, at this point, I think the only glaring holes that you would want to fix now, but I, I don't think there is any any real reason for us to rush into anything in the January transfer window. Yeah, I don't. I I would be very very surprised if we sign any first team players. Yeah, and just it's just nice to have depth. I mean, Tony Van der Beek is sitting on the bench, yeah. and not playing. Um, I mean, which is strange. I thought but, he should have come on against Wolves. To be fair, I think he yeah. would have been perfect actually for that game. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So th- there is that depth there. And I think Diallo coming in and, and Diallo coming in and Greenwood if he can find some form but also Pellistri as well and Dan James who has found some form again hopefully makes that right wing a little stronger um, but we def- we need a, a starter on that right wing 
and it will probably have to wait until the summer. But you can see how different we are when Rashford plays on the right and, and gives some actual quality. And yeah. it, it makes our left side better as well. It gives more space to Shaw and, and to Pogba or whoever else is on there. So that is certainly a big priority in the summer. Um, patrons, thank you for supporting the podcast as always. Happy, happy new year. Um, thank you for letting us do this every week. Um, non-patrons, normal listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the the extra Q&A at the end of the show. If you're interested in hearing that every week, it is normally 15, 20 minutes and we always get some really interesting questions from people like Ted, Michael, Mod, um, Craig, many, many others. If you're interested in that, you can pay, it's as little as £1.50 a month. You just have to go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there to find out information. You'll find a link there or you can go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash man UTD Weekly Pod. So that's where to go if you're interested. Thank you for listening. Um, for more from us out the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T A I T, and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson sixty four. And as I say, the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P O D at the end there. Happy New Year! Thank you for listening, um, and a happy happy time for Manchester United. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.